For those of you uh, who have the new iPhone 12 and need help keeping your heart beating, an ominous alert from Apple warning customers to keep their iPhone 12 at least six inches away from their pacemaker. Is there anything from last year that isn't trying to kill us? Please. California Governor Gavin Newsom lifted the state's coronavirus stay-at-home order, though I don't know if it'll make much difference since most people heard the news from their brunch waiter. Studios. This, this is the award-winning After 9 with Scott and Kat. Good day to you. Happy Whiskey Wednesday or Wine Wednesday. What are you going with? Well, I think it might be a Wines Day today, okay. but it's also National Chocolate Cake Day. And I don't know if you can really mix chocolate cake and wine. Dark chocolate and red wine is one of the greatest combinations of a lifetime. Are you kidding me? So if you get like a good piece of dark chocolate cake, something like that, uh, a rich tasting chocolate cake with pair of that with a nice glass of red. I guarantee you that's a fucking night right there. Hmm. I'm all about cake. I'm never going to say no to cake. Yeah, we all and know chocolate that. is my favorite. We all know that how much you like cake. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there. Fuck, I just knew you were going to go there. Uh, This one I would like to eat, though, and it's National Chocolate Cake Day, so today is the day. Maybe head on out to your favorite bakery or, I don't know, actually fucking bake something. You could do that yourself. You don't need to go to a grocery store or something to buy one, but hey, however you do it, go ahead and celebrate. Still not sold on the pairing it with wine, but uh, uh, let me think about that. Hey, don't knock it until you try it. Give it a try. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cake and wine. That yeah, just seems so, weird. Well, if I'm going to drink... It's the chocolate. It's the, not necessarily the cake portion. It's the chocolate. Like, I don't know if you've ever had dark chocolate and red wine. That's actually a very good combo and aphrodisiac as well, I think. But anyway, do that. A little bit of little raspberries as well. Ooh, that's good. See, I if I'm drinking wine, I will happily pair that with... Like carrot cake or something like that, something with like a cream cheese icing. Chocolate cake just seems like a l- weird flavor combo for me. But hey, if you're saying it's good and it's an aphrodisiac, yeah, I'm here for it. Giddy I'll up, right? Give it a whirl. Yeah, for, <laughs> giddy up. That's a great way to put it. <laughs> giddy up, sitting that cake. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot of stuff to do today uh, on our FM radio show this morning on 91.5 The Beat. Biostatistician Ryan Imgrund was our guest. Ryan was on on a podcast cast back on December the 18th and he for those who don't know is the guy who really delves deep into those covid numbers and and we flat out asked him when is this shit going to be over with how much longer do we have to put up with this nonsense will this vaccine shortage really affect us or not Ryan had great answers for all of it. And also, I know there's a lot of people that are pissy about the travel being allowed still. Mm-hmm. We asked Ryan if they were to close the borders would it actually help? His answer coming up at the end of this podcast. If you just want to hear that, go ahead and fast forward. And Ryan is going to be right there at the tip of your fingers. And I also asked him about the trolls because I obviously follow Ryan and anyone who's posting stuff like like he is. Because it doesn't matter, by the way, that the fact that it's fact, it's statistics. That's what he does. People will still try to argue and claim a conspiracy theory against those numbers. So um, we asked him a little bit about trolling because, I mean, you and I have experienced our own share of of trolls. And as you can imagine, his trolling is ridiculous sometimes as I read some of his replies. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, no one should have to cringe when they open up their social media in the morning at what kind of nonsense is going to be there or what kind of accusations are going to be made. You shouldn't have to. Like, Mm -hmm. if you disagree, just fucking move on. I mean, it's not a debate. It's just numbers, right? Like, you can 
not believe them and totally move on to something else. Unfollow if you don't like it. Uh, Ryan is great, though, and he is coming up at the end of this podcast. Let's talk about SpaceX for a second. A Canadian, Mark Paffey, who apparently is a Montreal businessman. I've never heard of him, but it's not to say he doesn't exist. He is going to be one of three people in the world that next January is going on a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket to the International Space Station. And Mark has absolutely zero astronaut qualifications. None. He's not an astronaut. He's just fucking loaded. He's paying 55 million U.S. dollars to be one of three people to go and just chill on the International Space That's, Station. For, they must not, They can't possibly have any kind of a wait list for this, right? Because you got to think about the amount of people that, A, have that much money, right? If you're buying your way on, you have to, $55 million. Like, that's insane. And that's not just, hey, this is my savings I've accumulated from all the years. This is some money that he's been able to set aside for this, I assume. You have to be able to find someone who has that much money, also has the willingness to do it. Like, I'm scared shitless. I will not do it. I wouldn't do it. If you offered me a free ride, no fucking thank you. Like, sometimes I joke about being out of here, but sometimes it also scares the shit out of me to be out there. So I don't know if I would actually be willing to do it and to to kind of cover all of those bases of you have to have the money you have to be willing to do it and try and travel out there and have a lifestyle that allows you to do that too like that's fucking crazy to me so good on this guy i mean people know his name now <laughs> mm. 100%. Hey, do they need to – is SpaceX basically just running the show now or do they need to phone NASA and say, hey, we want to sell some seats on a rocket and send them to the space station. Is that OK? Or can SpaceX just like fucking show up and knock on the door and say, hey, we're here. Companies coming over. Um, I think that they need – I mean if – I don't think they need permission to do it if they have the capabilities. I don't, are they borrowing anything from NASA to do this? Like, like no, they're just going to the space, the space station, station, which so obviously belongs they, to a coalition of countries. Right. So I, obviously they need some kind of a permission. You can't just willy-nilly – I mean even if you had the random ability to do it aside from SpaceX and nobody else really can, I'm sure that they have a partnership. They have an agreement of sorts. They've already, by the way, worked really well together thus far. So I don't see why it would be an issue. But yeah, I mean you have to give a heads up you have to give a heads up to nasa who's constantly patrolling the sky at least we all hope so um to say hey, fuck this shit's happening so when you see it now you know of course they have that collaboration they're the only people to do it they're the only two groups that are that have the ability to do it so i'm sure that they they work together on it it's just such a weird thing that you don't have to go through all that training and start off as a pilot and then go to NASA and get your astronaut training. That's typically how people have made it to the space station or even really into orbit. These guys are just fucking rich and they get yeah. to go. Well, too- and, and you know what? I'd love to say that's bullshit. Everybody should be allowed to. But I can't. I mean, these guys obviously did very well for themselves. They saved up a lot of money. Uh, it, it's going to be this Mark pa- uh, Pathy guy along with an Israeli businessman and an entrepreneur from Ohio. Okay. So hey, if you can afford it, fucking go. Sure, if you if you want to. Like I said, I think there's a small amount of the population that A, can afford it, and B, have the willingness to do it. But they found them. Uh, and that's cool. That, by the way, we're represented in a way there. That's cool. But um, you have to do some kind of a training. I mean, I, you don't just hop on and that's that. They're going to give you right. some kind of training, I'm sure. And, and it might take weeks, by the way, to train. 
um, these people that you're right are just rich. They're not going to school for it necessarily. They're getting a crash course is what they're what they're getting because they need to be safe out there. So I'm sure they'll they'll undergo some kind of training. It's it's going to be a new kind of training though because like you said, it usually takes a long time to get there, and this is going to be probably a little quickie, a little quickie course. Hey, this is how you survive, and hopefully you don't fucking die. Okay, jump on up. Let's go. Okay, just back to my other question, though. Who's in charge of space? Like, can you really just say, oh, fuck it, we're going to launch a shuttle? Or or do you need to ask somebody? Is Joe Biden no. the guy that we is in charge? I mean, Joe Biden might, for example, it, let's, that, that's a good example. So let's throw that out there. Let's say that they're launching from a pad in the U.S., I'm sure that they have the ability to block it if they feel it's not right or not safe or something like that. But will they step in and do that? I mean, I don't think so, unless there's good reason to. And yeah, I mean, space, is it owned by anyone? No, but I think we can all agree that NASA and that team has done a lot of shit that we even know about so that we can even know and understand it. So they don't, but that doesn't mean they own it. Yeah, I was just uh, on the SpaceX website, and one of the things that you can do on that site is book a rideshare. But it's not a rideshare like, oh, hey, I'm going to uh, Uber pool with some people to work today. It's You can send your own satellite into space and just throw it on one of these Falcon 9 rockets when it goes into orbit. I didn't know that if you and I created a satellite, we could just send it into space. I thought you had to, like, fucking ask somebody. But apparently, if you can afford to send it into space, it can just go into space. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, you work with them. You let people. I'm sure you have to have that communication. And as long as everyone's crystal clear on that, then why the hell not? Mm. I'm going to assume at some point you have been to the um, what is it here? It's that uh, that Guinness thing World down- Record place. Yes, that's the one. Yeah, you knew yeah. exactly what I was talking about. I have, yeah, the no, Guinness I have. World Records Museum in Niagara Falls. I certainly have. I've done that. I mean, I've done that trip countless times. Uh, Lundy's Lane and uh, everything else uh, with people. Fucking shoot me. Yeah, with people. Well, it's cool, though, with, with, with the visitors, because that's their first time seeing it, right? Like, when we had family from Scotland, we took them all down. We went there. When we had a family member come from BC, took him down there, and we did the whole thing, right? We sat on that patio at the top and and went to the falls and everything so yes i've done it so many times and and that's one of the places i've gone into a couple of times it's a little misleading right i mean they call it a museum but it's not exactly like you're walking into the smithsonian it's all weird shit and uh, uh, here's the world's <laughs> tallest man here's the woman from with the world's largest neck and all that sort of yeah, shit. right it's, it's usually what it is there isn't necessarily the originals right like so you go into smithsonian for example which has the original the first you know the outfits worn by this person physically these are more um they of re- reenactments and statuettes and you know pictures and things like that of the events and so i mean it's neat i didn't dislike it at all um it's like and it's also set up it's like a weird it was a weird maze kind of deal where you went into rooms and at one point you're like where am i where am i going how long is this going to last and then you pop out the other end you brought back some horrible memories, yeah, by the way, when that, you said, right? yeah. oh, family's coming over from the UK. Well, fuck, I guess we're going to Niagara yeah. Falls again. You oh, some to. family's but coming over from Italy. But they're well, excited shit. about Here we it. Go. It's, a, it's one of the wonders of the world. I mean, I think we take it for granted a lot that we are so close to some pretty amazing things, you know, living anywhere uh, in that area. Like, I think it's pretty cool that we could just hop into a car and go see that. Like, that's pretty incredible. There's people that travel I mean, around the world, obviously, to see it. So I'm okay with checking it out a couple of times and going to the falls. It d- doesn't bother me any. 
Is it rude to just rent them a car and say, have yourself a good time? We'll see you tonight. <laughs> you know what you do? Here's what you do is you get them all the t- you get them all the tickets. You're like, here you go. You're going to go see Ripley's. You're going to go to this haunted house. You're going to go down here. I'll be at the bar on this 10th floor of this hotel. When you're done, <laughs> come see me. And by then I'll be shit faced. And that's all you need to do. I mean, that's what I've done a couple of times when we've had family and entertaining family is I've kind of partway through ditched and been like, hey, why don't you check this out? You go ahead and head into that theater of the fucking person and and learn all about the person that went down the falls and the goddamn barrel that I've seen 50 times. You go ahead and fucking fill your boots with that. I'm going to go to the bar and I'm going to drink my face off. The reason this comes up is because Ripley's Auctions is going to be auctioning off the memorabilia from the Guinness World Records Museum, including artifacts, sculpted characters, displays, and exhibits. Included is a jersey puck and stick signed by Wayne Gretzky. The online auction is scheduled for February 12th. I did put the links up for this at scottandcat.ca if you want to get in on this auction. But a lot of this shit, you've really got to ask yourself, do I want that in my house? How many people have touched that? Like, could they just, like, lice all the shit out of it before they give it to me? It, it, some of it's pretty weird stuff. Do you want a statue of the world's tallest man in your living room? That would Where be the fuck a, are you going to put that? Not, I mean, that would be a really nice entrance point to your house. You know, you could put it right out there in the garden. Wouldn't that be nice and pretty? As you walk, <laughs> as you walk into your house, the front garden, there's just this massive man. That'd be great. If that doesn't keep the raccoons away, nothing will. <laughs> Oh, let me do a quick thing here because um, we didn't get a lot of a chance to spend a lot of time on it on our radio show today. So let's dedicate a couple minutes in the podcast to it. Uh, you remember that slimy piece of shit, Bill Morneau, right? Our former finance minister. That's right. Yeah. And you remember, well, sorry, I started calling him a slimy piece of shit when he was doing slimy piece of shit things. And and maybe he's just on to a private life now and I shouldn't do that. But I, I think that's how people identify him. Uh, he quit, by the way, as finance minister, not because of the Wee scandal. No, it had nothing to do with the Wee scandal that he was uh, apparently deeply involved in. He just wanted to run for secretary general of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Forget it. He's quit. What, he dropped out. Why, He's and, not doing and, it anymore. And what's the reasoning? Uh, he says, I don't have enough support to make it to the third round oh, of okay. nominations. Well, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised you don't have any support. You didn't when you were the finance minister either. Newsflash. Just in case you don't know. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, I mean, shit. It's true, right? Um, yesterday... The House of Commons was was working up past midnight. They had an emergency debate on vaccines and stuff like that. I, I don't know what they got done at, at midnight that they couldn't have got done at four in the afternoon. But whatever, if they want to waste their time, let them go ahead. Uh, one of the things that did come out, though, is more discussion about the fact that over in Europe, the European Union is considering putting restrictions on the export of vaccines. Oh, now we're in a shitty spot. Now we're, now no, we're really fucked. This is dangerous territory to enter here. Okay, but this comes back to uh, very much what the Americans are doing. So the Americans are making vaccines in Michigan. And from Michigan, they ship them out all across America. They're ready to start vaccinating a million and a half people a day. At that rate, we could do our entire country in a month. Everybody. So in America, they're not shipping out any vaccines to the rest of the world, not even to their best buddies and neighbors, Canada. They're like, fuck you. We want these things. So they're just keeping their vaccines in America. That's why we have to get ours from that plant over in Belgium. 
Well, that plant is shut down for retooling this week, and it's screwing up our supply for a month. In fact, we're getting no new vaccines this week. But now if the European Union wants to pull the same shit that the U.S. pulled and say, we will export them after our countries are all done. What are we supposed to do? And has anybody contacted any of the big Canadian drug companies and said, guys, what would it take to get you to make some vaccines here? Because if they can make a million shots a day in America or more, what do we need? A couple of weeks to retool your plant and then we could make a million and a half a day here. We could have this pandemic over with by April yeah. if they would just do that. I feel like there are easy like easy solutions that almost sound it almost sounds too easy that people think that oh, I can't possibly be that easy. But why don't we fucking try? Is. Why don't we try? Mm-hmm. You know, like, w- w- what do you do in Apotex? I realize you've got other drugs that make you a lot of money that you're you're manufacturing. But uh, I don't know. Could we open up a second location? I mean, it seems pretty fucking easy to do it for for Tim Hortons, McDonald's and Starbucks. Maybe you guys open up a franchise that just makes vaccines. Yeah, like, I don't know how easy it is. I'm not going to pretend to know all all of the appropriate procedures and how, how to do it. But the, I mean, you're, there has to be an easier way to, for us to get more quicker. Right. I have to think there is. I, I It can't possibly be that difficult if we can put our mind to it. Let's keep in mind, it was roughly a year ago, we uh, were all being told, oh, no, 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 don't go out and hoard masks. They're all for the, the healthcare workers. So all we did was flip a couple mil to a couple different companies who retooled their factory, and we started making PPE here in Canada. Now we've got tons of fucking PPE. Just because we converted a couple of Canadian plants into making it. Why can't we do the same thing with vaccines? I don't understand that. Why we're so reliant on Europe and America when we're a fairly advanced country. We should be able to do this, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not even like we need to buy land. We've already got empty factories everywhere because of the first 10 months of this pandemic. Fuck. <laughs> I know. It's fr- it is frustrating, especially when you feel like you can't, like, what can you do about it, right? And and there's a lot of people taking big hits on this, as we know. And, and by the way, the worst, I think, is yet to come in terms of for the outcome of this. Mm. Uh, but uh, when you have to, like, basically sit there and can't do anything about it, it sucks. It's frustrating. Last thing before we get to the interview with Ryan, which is fabulous, by the way, guys. Uh, you should stick around and hear it because he had some really good info. And that is coming up right after this segment. Uh, swearing, they say, may be a sign of verbal superiority. The advantages of swearing are many, says Timothy J., professor emeritus of psychology at Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts. He studied swearing for more than 40 years. And he's got a couple of theories here about why dropping an F-bomb or or whatever curse word you use is actually a good thing. Hear me out here. He says, oh, cursing I, to, may- I don't even need to fucking hear you out. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> cursing may be a sign of intelligence. Well-educated people with plenty of words at their disposal. A 2015 study found were better at coming up with curse words than those who were less verbally fluent. Mm-hmm. Participants were asked to list as many words that start with an F, A, or S in one minute. Another minute was devoted to coming up with curse words that start off with those three letters. The study found those who came up with the most F, A, and S words also produced the most swear words. That's a sign of intelligence to the degree that the language is correlated with intelligence. He says people are good at the lang- people who are good at the language are good at generating a swearing vocabulary. Yeah. You ever made up your own swear word? 
Um, I mean, yes, <laughs> like, yes, but fuck only- the fucking fuckers. <laughs> Ooh, where'd that come from, right? No. See, okay, so I'm glad that we. You son of a motherfucker. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, you f- fucking giggle fucks. Like I don't know. You can think of all kinds of different things. If you put fuck around it, especially, it's extra punchy. It's it's fabulous. There's a great special on Netflix. Uh, they kind of turned it into a mini series. It's called The History of Swear Words. And if you mm. haven't seen it yet and you have Netflix, I do encourage you to watch it. Nicholas Cage hosts, and he's amazing. And each episode kind of gives you the history. It's actually quite educational as well. It gives you the history of the swear word. And my favorite episode has to be the very first one, which is the fuck word. Mm-hmm. That's the you know one of the most vulgar ones you can use. But I mean... When you think about intelligence and using swear words, it, it, it is interesting to me that people would even think that those who use swear words, and it does depend on the context in which you use the words. I do agree. It, mm-hmm. it can be overused at times. It can be used in the wrong way, um, I, and I get it. But the word fuck, I mean, you do have to be intelligent in order to use that word to the best of its ability. And I mean in terms of using it as a noun, a verb, an adjective. I mean, fuck is the most flexible word and my, that's why it's my fucking favorite word, because you can use it in so many different ways. And it helps with all kinds of things. I mean, you mentioned um, when we were talking about it this morning that when it came to pain, there were studies, and this is also in the special as well. There were studies that show that when you use the F word, you are able to hang in there and do whatever it is and manage the pain better, whether it's working out, right? You just went up a notch uh, in, in your weights and you're trying to lift it as long as you can. Fuck, 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 fuck will get you there that much farther. If it's really cold outside and you just feel like you can't handle it, try saying fuck a bunch of times because it actually has proven in studies to help you manage the stress level, the pain tolerance. Like it's, and I believe it. I believe it all. Um, so that's why I love fuck. Thank you very much. Welcome. To my, <laughs> thank you for joining my fucking Ted talk. Uh, just to back up what Kat said there, yeah, researchers had people dunk their hands in an ice-cold glass of water and keep them there. The ones who swore were able to keep their hands in longer than people who yelled things like, shoot, or darn. Darn just doesn't do it, right? I mean, darn it all. Darn just doesn't it. quite express how you're feeling at that moment, does it? No, no. Uh, Uh, Another reason that the F words are particularly effective or any expletive, really, they say throwing out expletives is better than throwing punches. Experts think that we've evolved to swear because it's less risky as a way to vent. In other words, punching someone dangerous, swearing at someone from across the street, less dangerous, Mm -hmm. but you still get to get out those same emotional frustrations. Mm -hmm. Now, where you might run into trouble is if you, uh, oh, I don't know, see somebody across the street and you don't like their hat and you say, hey, fuck you. I hate your hat. And they come over and kick the living shit out of you. That's where you run into the problem. So you got to be careful at who you throw those words at. But, yeah, there's a lot of benefits, they say, to swearing. Mm -hmm. As we've just proven, and we do every day in After (laughs) 9. Oh, boy. I want to get real gratuitous, but I feel like that's just being gratuitous. Right. We don't even need to do right. it. You there's already a, know it's well, effective. For, for sure, it is effective. And there's and like I said, there's time and a place for it. So when people think about intelligence and, and, and swearing, not a lot of people will put that together. But if you know how to do it, and sometimes I'll fully admit I just fucking swear for the sake of swearing. Because sometimes it just feels good to do it. Mm. But 
it has a lot of benefits and 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 those studies have proven it but anyway history of swear words i'm going to mention it again you got to check it out um i thought uh yeah chatting with ryan ingrund was very it was a good chat uh, that we had this morning with Ryan. And we know that a lot of you have asked whether you listen to our FM radio show or whether you have us on Twitter when we talked about it. You've asked us to uh, have play it back on the podcast. So we're going to do that for you now. Check out our conversation and have a great motherfucking Wednesday, everybody. <laughs> I'm looking at the number of active cases and the number of active cases seems to be going down a lot. If I look at that, it seems like there's a little bit of reason to be optimistic. But is that a wrong statistic to look at? Well, I think active cases sometimes is an interesting statistic because there's not a lot that is defined as active. In other words, really what they define as active is a case that is not really 14 days old. So it's a good statistic, but it does actually match up with some of the other statistics, like the reproductive rate, which has been under one, and that's how many secondary infections are linked to one primary infection. That has actually been under one um, for about two and a half weeks now. So, yeah, we are actually seeing numbers go down here in Ontario. That's good. And you, you set out yesterday, or last week, sorry, about the weekly cases rate per 100,000 tests. And if you look at those numbers, that does look better, too, in terms of getting kids back to class there's a kind of a magic number to that being 40 cases or lower it seems like they were allowed back correct it seems to be that yeah and um we're seeing actually some areas that were nowhere close to that such as the the Brantford area they were around 75 weekly cases per 100,000 just around two weeks ago now they're actually down to under 40 they're one of the first southern Ontario regions that has schools closed that is actually under that threshold. So we may actually start to see some of these areas where we had schools closed, um, you know, reach that what seems to be the threshold for reopening schools here in Ontario. So that's good news. Mm -hmm. So when realistically do you think you could have butts in seats in classrooms? It's tough because I think there's still some regions where we're not seeing the decline fast enough. Um, There's some regions where you could really go back February 10th. There's some that may have to wait until after Family Day weekend, and there's some that may even have to wait until after March break. They're just not declining fast enough, and it may be this new variant which we're seeing. Is it possible to regionally reopen schools? Is it possible, for example, to have maybe Waterloo, Hamilton, and Halton open, but have Toronto and Peel region closed? Or does that create too much confusion? Yeah, it creates confusion, but I think it's the way that we have to go because if we're simply waiting for Toronto and also Peel to get their numbers that are um, like under control first, it's going to be a very, very long time for some other regions such as Waterloo, Hamilton, Wellington, um, for them to reopen. So I think we're at a point now that if we want students back in school, we need to do it on a more regional basis, understanding though that it, it, it is going to be challenging because there are some school boards that even transverse two regions. There are some schools that are on that, you know, imaginary line between regions. So it's a challenge, but I think we could probably do it on a regional basis. How much impact is this delay in Pfizer vaccines actually going to have on us? I mean, it's a week with no vaccines and then a decreased amount for a few weeks after that. Is that going to really slow things down as far as coming out of this is concerned? I'll be honest, I don't think so. But it will have a big impact on deaths and also hospitalizations for this next little bit. But I still think that the plan is to get people vaccinated by September. In other words, I think what we will most likely see is that we'll start to see cases come down in like middle of May 
if we had these vaccines a little bit faster, it may have been started May. So we it may have lagged things around you know one or two weeks. But in terms of deaths and hospitalizations, that's going to see the biggest impact because that's who the vaccine hits up first, and that's who this missing vaccine is going to affect the most. Okay, if you're just tuning in, biostatistician Ryan Imgrund is joining us. We are talking about COVID, and uh, we've talked about vaccines. We've talked about schools. What keeps you up at night? Yeah, I think it's this new variant. I'm really worried Mm -hmm. about this new variant. It's the fact that we haven't really been looking too much for it because we don't have the ability to immediately run testing on COVID-19 and figure out how widespread this is. My feeling is is that in the next week or two, because we are starting to sequence a lot more strains, we're going to find out that this strain is a lot more prevalent um, throughout Ontario than we actually think it is. And it's going to be found in people that have no travel history. And that really worries me because that's going to throw a big wrench into schools reopening. Yeah, I, I worry about that variant, too. Is it just more contagious or or is it more lethal? What is the major fear about this variant, the one that's wreaking havoc, for example, in Simcoe, Muskoka? Yeah, it's definitely more transmissible. They don't know about the lethality of it, but I'm also wondering about that, too, because of the 125 residents that have actually come down with COVID-19, we've already had 40 pass away. And that's a mortality rate of around 30, 35%, which is higher than we typically see in this population. That's not to say it's for sure more lethal, but we know for a fact, based out of UK data, that it's definitely more transmissible and it's extremely transmissible in the younger population. Wow. Uh, We just passed the one-year mark, the one-year anniversary, the first confirmed case of COVID-19. In that moment, did you ever imagine, or what were your thoughts the first moment that we knew that there was a case in Canada? Did you ever think that we would be where we're at right now? I had a feeling we would probably be social distancing for a good, you know, 15 to 18 months. That was one of the first comments that I made on the COVID-19 because I saw a lot of the similarities between COVID-19 and the flu of 1918. Um, The flu of 1918 really needed that third wave, um, which happened about a year and a half after the first wave started for like cases to basically taper off. So I'm hoping that this vaccine gets us out of there because it, it seems to match up almost fully with that flu of 1918, um, where we have this kind of a third wave maybe about to happen right now. Um, it's scary how like close COVID-19 is to that flu of 1918. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if you were a betting man, how much longer do you figure we're all going to be wearing masks? And how much longer until we can do things like go to a, a Leaf game or go to a concert Yeah, that's going to be really challenging, getting back to some of those bigger events, such as concerts, stadium events, things like that. I still think that's a good, you know, year, year and a half away for us to be able to fill the stadium. For us to be able to fill the stadium, yeah. Um, You know, with that being said, even if we start up, you know, maybe some of the bigger schools in September, um, you know, they may even still have to be masked or just simply move away from some of those lecture-style classes. We need to keep in mind that the vaccine, we don't know how long these antibodies actually last for. And even those who receive the vaccine, it's not 100% uh, effective, which means that you're going to still have to mask as well. So it's it's just another layer of protection in the whole COVID-19 protection scheme. Once people are getting vaccinated, I have to think that the number of daily cases is going to go down and there's going to be a lot of pressure on the government, federal and provincial, 
to loosen restrictions. They're going to say, hey, we're I mean, even just yesterday, it was lower testing, but we were under 2000 cases. And that ramps up the pressure on the government to start opening stuff up again. When do you think we can come out of the stay at home order? Yeah, I think the stay at home order is something which we could probably um, start to come out of at around the same time that we're able to open up schools, which seems to be at around that 40 weekly cases per 100,000 rate. Now, that's not to say that we just fully open everything up and we go back to the way things were, because if we do, we're going to see that third wave around March, which is when, if you think back, that's all when the COVID-19 started. So we got to be careful that we know that this third wave does want to peak up. And if we stop these restrictions too quick, it's going to pop up really, really quickly here in Ontario. So we've got to kind of take that balance of knowing that what we're doing is effective, but not taking off those restrictions too fast, or else we're, we're going to be back in this exact same mess come March. Ugh. Do you think that if we restricted international travel, that that would have a significant impact on the cases that we're getting or the situation we're in. I know yesterday the premier was again asking the government for mandatory testing for all international travelers when they land in Canada. Will that help or would restricting international arrivals completely, would that help bring down the cases or are people fixating on the wrong thing there? Yeah, I think what we really should have done is once we saw these variants, we should have acted immediately on international travel. Now that we haven't, it means that any um, thing that we do to shut down international travel is not because of these variants, because I'm fairly certain that they're already very, very widespread. But with that being said, what they're finding out of Lake Pearson is one out of 40 people who land at Pearson are actually testing positive for COVID-19. And that's quite a significant rate. So there is something that you need to do with those people, because we also need to keep in mind that when you test for COVID-19, you may not necessarily catch every case. Some of those cases that were were transmitted shortly before someone flew, they're going to enter the country, have a negative test, and if they don't quarantine like they're supposed to, it's able to pass from one person to the next, and here it is again. Um, Ryan, your posts and your tweets, uh, especially on Twitter, they're fantastic. But I got to ask you, I'm always curious, how are you how are you doing with the trolling? Um, because I oh, know yeah. everybody <laughs> knows, right? You post something about COVID, doesn't matter what you post. It could be something positive. It could be just a very generic fact. Um, but people want to troll on you. And I know you've no doubt seen that happen. How How have you been dealing with all of that? Yeah, you're exactly right. That happens all the time, no matter what you say, whether you want schools open, whether you want schools closed, whether you want schools open safely, um, you're going to affect someone. I think the issue is, which you got to keep in mind, um, right now, I think I'm at around 50,000 followers. And that's, you know, the size of a small town. There's never been an election, I'd say, in the history of the world that was unanimous when you were voting for someone and a platform on something. That's not to say that I have a platform on something. But even if there is something that statistics back up and I make a comment about it, you're going to have people that strongly disagree with it, whether it's, okay, look, these, you know, things are working. Um, The, you know, stats are working. Oh, well, hold on. Lockdowns don't work. And, you know, you get you get into that argument all the time. You're not able to please every single person. Mm -hmm. But that's why I like to let the numbers do the talking as the best they can because they're the most important thing because you cannot really debate numbers.
Yeah, and you'd be, ama- you'd be amazed if you ever read the comments of the replies that people who do want to argue. Stats, statistics, it's fact. But I do strongly recommend you follow Ryan. He's fantastic. I've been keeping uh, up to date with your updates. I tell everyone to follow you at Imgrund on Twitter, I-M-G-R-U-N-D. Thanks so much for taking the time this morning, Ryan. Thanks so much. Thanks to Ron. Take care, Ryan. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.